I don't know what cybersecurity means. The, the vendors are trying to find the problem space as the problem they can solve. Leave me the fuck alone. Okay, so what are you going to do in the meantime while they're stealing all your shit? I'm not your tech support, bitch. Fuck off. So I'm constantly going, no, no, no stop that, put that down, don't touch that, take that out of your mouth. See, I was going to call that happy horse shit. And it just drives me fucking crazy. Well, shall we get rolling here? Alright, we shall. Today is Wednesday, July 16th, and this is episode 76 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as usual, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Good evening, Jerry. Sorry that we're a day late. That's my crazy work schedule getting in the way, or two days late, as it were. Uh, no worries. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I was able to put the time to good use, so... So uh, the the first thing I have is a uh, is a comment from Bob, and it's actually more of a question to our listeners. And Bob Bob had some ideas, but you know, I, to me, I I was kind of interested in what what everybody else thought. So what do you do? Let's just hypothetically say you have a you know an enterprise or you know even a medium sized business that uses. Windows and Active Directory, what do you do if your domain gets compromised? You know, clearly, the advice has always been with a server, if the server's compromised, you rebuild the server. But how does that apply in the context of an Active Directory domain? Because it gets a lot more complicated. You have domain controllers and accounts propagate across and you know, I, the obvious question or the obvious guidance would be, well, you know, make sure that all the accounts are still valid and change passwords. But is that really realistic given that, you know, you have all these domain controllers that somebody could have planted stuff on? And, you know, do you really have to go through and and rebuild each of the domain controllers? And then do you shut them all off at the same time and start over? Or, you know, what what is the best practice there? I've actually not really found any, any good back, best practice there. Hmm. You know, what immediately comes to mind to me is to update your resume and quit. <laughs> the uh, the personal business continuity plan. <laughs> wow, that is a tough one. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I I need to think about that a little bit before I have a reaction because that is a hell of a worst case scenario there. And, uh, you know, Bob, Bob, I mean, Bob's seen it a couple of times. You'd have to assume all the accounts are popped. You'd have to assume all the passwords are burned. Exactly. Um, you'd have to assume there's all sorts of Active Directory that builds trust. And, you know, I, I probably would have to do some research on what sort of things you could truly exploit and truly uh, go after if you had full access to everything sitting in an AD server. What sort of stuff could that get you? I bet it's pretty gnarly. Yeah, and that that's what got me thinking and and prompted me to ask the question. You know, there's there's you know, now we're up to like 18 listeners. I figure that somebody out there might might actually have a yeah, have an idea. I, it's uh and to be clear, Bob asked the question. Yeah, Bob, yeah. I'm just I'm just passing the question on for sure. Yeah. Um I'm curious if Microsoft has any documentation on what to do. I, you know, I honestly don't know. I haven't. I'll have to go do some research. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. All right. So, um, so moving on, our our first our first actual story tonight is that the Ask.com toolbar 
has been updated and includes uh, 20 fixes for remotely exploitable, exploitable vulnerabilities in the Java Remote Access Tool. Color me shocked. I, I know. Crazy. So a little side story on that. Um, first of all, yeah, go patch. You know, uh, I was curious because Java 8 has been out for a while. And I was like, why is it being offered as an update? And I was trying to find it. I was like, why am I keep getting Java 7, right? I update 65. Why not Java 8? And is it worth going to Java 8? And anyway, long story short, I finally found somewhere on Oracle's page, why isn't Java 8 being offered for download on this page? And their version, their, their reality is, hey, it's still new. We want to give it plenty of time for the developers to mess with and make sure everything's working. So if you really, really want it, you can go over here to this deep link on this other page and you can download it, but it might break a lot of stuff. So. Just a random thing I discovered today. Why yeah. Java 8, even though it's been out since March, is not publicly... Interesting. Obsolete. That's interesting because Java 8 is supposed to uh, fundamentally be a little better, maybe less of a remote access tool. Right. And that's why I was curious why it's not being offered. But if Oracle really gave a damn about Java security, they would auto-update and make life a hell of a lot easier as opposed to just being nagware to install ask.com toolbars. Shame on you, Oracle. Shame. And, and, and also, uh, not relink to their browser, to the browsers each time you install. Oh my god, just drives me. How not to do it. Yeah. Do you understand, yeah. Oracle, how much Java is exploited? Right? It's like, well, easy button, Java. How, I, how can you not? I mean, it's in every freaking security report that's released these days. It's like they don't care. I don't think they do. You know, and, and what's even what even kills me more is they don't even have a way to monetize that problem. You know, it seems to me like they should have been the ones to buy Mandiant. <laughs> oh, well, I guess Oracle's not going to sponsor this show either. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> well, you know, I was talking to Larry Ellison the other night, and yeah, we, yeah. No, he said no. Didn't work out. Got it. Well, another one off the list. It's true. Next story is coming from eSecurity Planet, which is such a weird name for a blog. But anyway. Screams, screams credibility. It does. It does. So the title is 67% of critical infrastructure providers were breached last year. Uh, this, this was a survey of 599 executives from 13 countries in the oil, gas, energy, and utility industries. Uh, and the survey found that 67% of the surveyed executives said they had, a, had been breached in the last 12 months. And by breach, they mean they had lost confidential information or had suffered a disruption in operations as a result of a uh, IT attack, I guess. Uh, so going on, they, they said that some other interesting statistics were 64% of the, the surveyed people said they were anticipating a serious attack in the next year, and 78% of those anticipated attack on their ICS and SCADA environments. But only 28% rated security as one of their top five priorities. Um, and... Uh, meanwhile, 60% said that, that minimizing downtime was their top priority. And I think that actually 
is very telling. I mean, that is the problem right there. You know, and and I, to be honest, I'm not sure that security should be one of the top five priorities. Unless you can show how security prevents loss, you know, loss of downtime. Well, that's the key, prevents right? Prevents downtime. It, yeah. it's how, how does it meet, you know, it has to match your strategic objectives. Mm-hmm. So... You know, and I, you know that that is a fair question, right? I, my utility provider, let's say for electric, can't go down a couple times a, a month just because. Well, we were making a patch, right? That's not acceptable to me as a customer. Exactly. Um, so it is a fair balance of priorities. However, they're not mutually exclusive. Well, that's that's true, but I think you know I I just don't think that generally security stands as its own, you know, corporate strategy imperative you know i I think it it is something that underpins most of the different strategy elements of a business but it has to support those you know you you don't you're not in business to be secure you're in business to sell a product or you're in business to you know develop a service or you know do you know sell a cancer drug or you're in business to do something and you you want to do it in a way that doesn't get you fined or doesn't get your, your name disparaged in the press and, and on and on and on. It's true. For the record, I'm in business to launder money for my meth cooking business, but that's an aside. Yep. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> recorded, <Visit me. laughs> recorded for all to hear in the perpetuity. Be, be sure to visit me in jail. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Boy, the, you know, we're not e- we've not even released this yet, and the NSA is already reviewing all your crap. You think they weren't already? Well, they're going back. With all the lists I'm on? They're going back. They're like, what did we miss? God. What did we miss? I'm like a, a domestic terrorist red flag from here to the end of time. Libertarian, anti-government. I'm a pilot. I have lots of guns. I... Computer security stuff. You're a redhead. I used to go to Israel a lot. Come on. Seriously? There's there's probably vans sitting on my house right now. You like books? I do like books. That's right. See, there you go right there. I have a cat. Oh. Huge. Seriously. Big problems there. All right. Back on track. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 47... Sorry. 47% had uh, attributed one of their breaches to negligent insiders, uh, but but yet only 6% provided training to all their users. Now, you know, I, I had to wonder when they said 6%, only 6% trained all their users, does that mean that a higher percentage trained some of their users and, you know, the male people didn't get trained or, uh, you know, it's a little, it's a little ambiguous. They did have three interesting recommendations. Um, for the record, the third one has a typo in it. Oh, it I know. Sense I until know. you go read the actual report. So, FYI, if you're looking at the article we, we mentioned, there is a typo in the third one. We'll a, a, a very serious typo, yes. <laughs> yes. So, the, fir- the first recommendation is to, to develop an all-encompassing strategy that aligns with business strategies and goals, providing a roadmap to follow. And That's awesome. Easy to say. Now, what the hell does that mean to an individual company? See, I was going to call that happy horse shit. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't disagree with the concept, but that is such a 150,000-foot view that it gives actually no guidance whatsoever. It's a platitude. 
it is. You know, that, that's all it is. It's, it's, a, it's a platitude that sounds like really great general advice. And it pro- I mean, it is great general advice, but, you know. It's not useful. Yeah, be a good person. <laughs> oh, do, really? Do good I, things. Oh, I, why didn't you tell me that earlier? Wow. So, uh, doing it all wrong. So their second, the second piece of advice was to manage identities and, and entitlements to provide the highest level of identity assurance and reduce critical employee errors. You know, again, another, another great idea, somewhat difficult to do across the board. Um, and certainly in some countries, it's harder to do in other than in others. Um, but, I, you know, generally, I think that's a, a some sage advice. However, it's something that we've struggled with for decades. The third third piece of advice they have is isolate and block. This is where the typo was. They said isolate no, and clock. No, they meant isolate and cloak. Oh, cloak. Cloak is what's in the actual PDF. Uh, okay. Uh, endpoint isolate and cloak endpoint devices to hide them from probing malware, which. Uh, you know, this is old advice. This is back to the days when you had self-spreading worms. Yeah. Um, that is not how malware is getting on your devices as much today. Yes, a little bit, but that is not typically the problem. Uh, I don't know. I agree with that particular statement as my top three. Uh, right, right. And, you know, again, my, my comment on this whole, the, all three recommendations is that they are indeed happy horseshit. And this kind of thing is ta- is very hard, right? It takes good planning and good design. You have to be thoughtful. There are conflicts, right? You know, a lot of this stuff is in conf- is in conflict with the concept of maximizing availability and right. maximizing the efficiency gains out of IT enabling everything, you know, and and in conflict with what we often see in this kind of space where those industrial control systems are long-term investments. You know, the average IT system is, you know, from a, consider a server, right, is, you know, has a shelf life of about five or seven years probably at most. But these ICS systems have 30, 35, 40-year lifespans. That's a tough thing to fit. And when they're designed, they're usually designed really well. And they're, but they're not designed to, you know, to have all this crap bolted onto it. And, you know, in particular, the people that are bolting the crap onto it usually don't, you know, don't think it through to the extent that the original uh, designers did. So that's my. Yeah. I do want to say I read a little more into the actual report. Uh, I think the article itself is a little weak. Uh, the report actually goes a little deeper uh, into some recommendations that I think are worth discussing. Uh, First, they talk about implementing agile and non-disruptive security. So they are defaulting on the you cannot disrupt anything. So to quote, in implementing security measures for critical infrastructures, tactical security tools should not disrupt operations during installation or routine maintenance. Reliability, safety, and zero downtime are paramount. I would say it's primarily the case, but I would say that is a reflection on whatever the culture is in the organization you're in. Now, the key is understanding that culture. If that is indeed the culture, uh, it probably doesn't apply to every single piece of equipment. So I think you can categorize what sections and, and what areas have that sort of uh, requirements and still build layered security a little further out from them. Um, 
But, you know, uh, the other thing, deploy better authentication for application users, user mistakes, system glitches to corrupt employees may be the most prevalent threats to enterprise infrastructure reliability and safety. I would disagree with that. I would say phishing and um, malicious code taking advantage of non-willful willful user mistakes uh, so I guess you cover that under user mistakes uh, are probably the biggest threat that I'm seeing right now. Um, so let's see. Uh, reduce attack services or targets. Sure, can't cannot complain about that. That's pretty pretty obvious. Um, protect mobile data. Uh, secure BYOD. Isolate endpoints and devices. Those are a bit more tactically useful bits of information in my mind. Yeah, the one the one thing, and you know, I, I'm not exactly sure how they compiled their recommendations, but Ponemon surveys, which this was one of, tend to be, you know, opinion surveys, and and so you know that you have to you have to take that you know into account when you read the survey and and understand or at least try to apply what it's telling you. It's it's uh, you know, again. It, Executives may not be the most authoritative source for, you know, the ways to <laughs> secure your industrial no, control systems. You know, to go off on a minor rant, it always cracks me up when CEOs of companies are called before Congress to testify about something. The CEO is usually not the authoritative person on whatever that topic is. That's right. At the level of detail that Congress is, in theory, looking for. Not that Congress has a clue either. But it's so funny because they're so removed from the actual tactical decision-making, especially on, t- on technical issues. Uh, all, all, all the executives can do is basically echo what they've briefed and understand it at a very high strategic level, uh, and you know give assurances and, and platitudes. So it always cracks me up. If you really want to know, get the chief engineer there or the, whoever the you know depending on what it is you're talking about. Like I could point to GM, get one of their senior VPs of engineering there who understands the technology and, and, and has a background in engineering, not an executive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think there there are times when you have executives, and I think it's the minority cases, probably in smaller companies, where where they do have that, that background. But, you know, generally you end up with a situation where you have, you know, you have uh, legislators asking questions they don't understand to to people who don't understand the questions, giving responses that don't make any sense to people who back who wouldn't understand the responses anyway. So you know, I guess no harm, no foul. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our our next story comes from Security Week. The title is "Hackers Attack Shipping and Logistics Firms Using Malware Laden Handheld Scanners." And this uh, this is a attack that a company called Trapex has called Zombie Zero, and apparently there is a manufacturer of some handheld scanners which, uh, interestingly enough, run Windows XP inside the scanner itself, uh, which are coming pre-owned with some malware, and uh, and it's it's kind of interesting because. These, uh, the, these scanners have to be associated with, you know, the company's networks and with their, whatever, uh, shipping and receiving software or financial software they're, uh, you know, that, that company is using. And so th- what, what they found here is that this software or this, uh, this malware, I'm sorry, is, is basically 
making a record of everything that's being scanned in and and uh, some uh, basically the, <laughs> the the manifest of what's coming in and going out and uh, sending it off to the attackers. And, uh, awesome. And in addition to that, it's apparently installing some malware. And there's a li- there's not a whole lot of detail that I could find uh, on the method it does this right, but it's installing some malware allegedly on the uh, the servers, the financial servers that the customer is using, and then using that as a as a actual command and control point for the scanners to then in turn exfiltrate the data out of the company. So. So this is yet another example where you know you, you can't really trust anything. You know you've got to you, you've got to but, be but you have suspicious. To, you do have to be suspicious, but you have to you know trust something. Right? I mean, you let me back that up and try that again. You still have to do business, right? So you can't be paranoid and and sit in your in your office and say don't buy anything because it could all be compromised, <laughs> right? So yeah, you have to be you have to look at everything with everything could be hostile. It, that's that's the point, right? Everything yeah. everything has to be viewed with some amount of suspicion, and it's not just a dumb scanner. It, it you know it is a potential source uh, of malware, and you know they they point out some some recommendations on here. You know that that you really ought to do some some uh, investigation and you know invest uh, analysis on new hardware that you bring in, but. You know, the one, the one interesting thing they actually point out in the article itself is that this, this one company they're talking about had 48 of the scanners and only 16 of the scanners had the malware. So it's. I, I just have a, a lot of trouble echoing or agreeing with that piece of advice. I don't think most companies have the expertise, the time, or the budget to do that. Well, and, and not only that, I'm not sure that it would be all that effective. Yeah. I mean, they have a second piece of advice that I do agree with. Right. Uh, and I'll, I don't want to steal your thunder on that, but no, I just, go ahead. Uh, you know, they say the next best option is solid real-time monitoring that may be able to detect the malware as it's activated, um, et cetera, et cetera. I would say, and communicating and exfiltrating data. And I would say that is not the next best option. That's the best option, right? Because it can now capture any piece of equipment that is doing something anomalous or trying to exfiltrate data. This is. This is the upside of the current crop of malware is they all want to exfiltrate data, so they all have to be noisy in some way. The key is how do we catch them? How right. can we pick up that traffic as it's happening? It's not easy, but that is where I would focus my efforts. I, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. That is, in my view, the thing that, that we should take away from this is that again, we, we've talked about this a lot. Uh, monitoring and and Closing down that window of detection is becoming of paramount importance because it might not be your scanner. Maybe it's your load scale or, you know, something else. Barcode printer. You know, there's there's so many so many avenues for this to to happen through. And you're you're right. Most companies don't have the ability and skill to 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 find this out you know, to to do their own testing. So the other problem with that testing is it's a point in time. Absolutely. Uh, you know, if it's preloaded, yeah, great. But who knows if it's going to get compromised down the line? I mean, the other option is just to wait for Google Project Zero to save us all, because those three guys are going to find everything. Oh, I'm glad that you uh, that you brought Project Zero up, because we're going to dedicate an entire like ten episodes. I think we should to, to Project Zero, and that might get us through most of the press release. <laughs> oh boy! All right. Um, so 
<laughs> so there were a couple yeah. of... I'm a little snarky tonight. The, there were a couple of other uh, interesting things that, you know, the, again, these these scanners were coming from the manufacturer infected, but they were also distributing uh, updates for the scanners on their website that had the malware too. So kind of to your point, maybe the scanner didn't, you know, wasn't infected when you got it, but at some point in the future, you went to apply an update and now it is infected. So that's that's interesting. And the other, the other last interesting bit of uh, of data here is that the um, the command and control system that it's reporting back to is uh, apparently belongs to this vocational school which by the way was also implicated in the Aurora attacks against Google and is one block away from the manufacturer of the scanners so I'm sure it's total coincidence and and we shouldn't read anything into that but you know there it is Oh my! <laughs> All right, uh, our next next story comes from the TechNet blog. Uh, it's a very brief thing. Uh, this just is sounding the death death bell for Windows 2003 server, giving you a heads up. July 2015, it's going away, people. We did such a great job with XP. Maybe we can do better with 2003. I don't know. Um, probably not. Probably not. All right. Next story comes from Data Breach Today. Title is Details Emerge of the Boeing Hack. So I, I got to tell you, there's not a lot of details despite the title. Um, apparently, a couple of people were arrested uh, in connection with this attack. Three people, in fact. And they are charged with stealing information about the C-17, the F-22, and the F-35 fighter jets. There was some, uh, I guess, I would interpret it as boastful emails going around in China, which somehow we we intercepted that said these uh, these people who apparently are freelancers and not not actually allegedly agents of the Chinese government uh, stole 65 gigabytes of data from Lockheed over about two a two year period, and um, you know, they the one thing I thought that w- was pretty interesting despite the article not having a ton of detail is, is some of the some of the comments they had about the uh, the detection they had to avoid so I'll just kind of read read from that so from breaking into its internal network to obtain to to obtaining intelligence we repeatedly skipped around in its internal network to make it harder to detect reconnaissance and we also skipped around it at suitable times in countries outside the US in the process of skipping, we were supported by a prodigious quantity of tools, routes, and servers, which were also ensured the smooth landing of intelligence data. To evade tra- no pun intended. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> to evade tracking by American law enforcement, the report says the attackers planned for numerous skip routes in many countries. The routes went through at least three countries, and we ensured one of them did not have friendly relations with the U.S., the document says. The hackers use so-called jump servers, special-purpose computers on a network, typically used to manage devices in separate security zones. So so that kind of points out that, you know, this is a this is kind of garden-variety fare for for most people now. This This is why the problem of attribution is so hard. Yep. Yep, yep, hundred percent agreed. It's why I've always had an issue with attributions, hacking back, anything like that. You have no idea. 
if that IP address is really the source or, or just a, a launch point or something else. And it's so easy to spoof this stuff. It's really, it just is not a good way to go. Sorry, my, my thought just sort of died on me there, but. No, I think you're, I think you're on the right point. You know, Bob told me once that he, you know, he worked at a service provider and they kept having uh, servers compromised and, and found those servers being used to attack other companies. So, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the company that Bob worked for, uh, you know, often looked like the source of, of uh, some bad stuff. And, you know, and in fact, it wasn't, you know, they, they were. Well, to be fair, the company that's getting the servers hacked does have a responsibility to not get hacked, but they're True. not the ones who are you know, behind the maliciousness. Right. But, you know, being, being that Bob was in Bulgaria at the time, you know, it wasn't fair to say that the Bulgarian government was attacking, you know, whatever company that was. Though right. they are a little shady. Well, we can go there. <laughs> Those Bulgarians, they owe me money. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Moving on, this is another story from from Data Breach today, and the title is "Testing Your APT Response Plan." So this is a this is a about a report that came out of ISACA, which is titled uh, "The uh, See APT Awareness." So uh, kind of a kind of an interesting read. There are a couple of of interesting findings, I thought, and basically to to net it out, there's there's a correlation or I'd say maybe a negative correlation between whether or not you think that you've been targeted by an APT and whether, you know, uh, whether you're prepared. And so if, uh, you know, if you have, if you believe strongly that you have been targeted, uh, you, you know, you strongly believe that you're very prepared and, and the converse seems to be true also. So if you're, if you believe it's not very likely 30, uh, they say 30 and a half percent of people say they're not prepared at all. So it's kind of an interesting thing. I thought it would be the other way around to be perfectly honest. I, I figured that people that believe they had been targeted would, would see themselves as more vulnerable, but uh, I guess didn't bear out that way. Um, and the other, the other interesting thing is this points out kind of a lack of awareness of what kinds of controls it takes to prevent these kinds of attacks. And, you know, they find that, you know, essentially people are, are in general thinking that the traditional kinds of boundary defenses like firewalls are, are where it's at. And, you know, they have a, they have a table here in kind of descending order uh, about what they think is the uh, you know is the the most effective methods uh, for for prevention. You know, antivirus is number one, which tells you something right, right there. Yeah. Then uh, you know, firewalls, router switches is, is second. Network segregation, IPS. So you know, to to be honest, it's it's kind of telling, and I I'd be interested in understanding where the population comes from because. This is apparently a group of security professionals that were that were uh, were pulled, you know. However, ISACA, you know, and I, I don't mean to disparage ISACA, right? But ISACA tends to be uh, more on the compliance end of of the the universe, right? So, you know, I wonder if if um, you know, if the people there 
they're surveying are kind of biased in one direction versus another. So anyway, it's it's an interesting uh, article and maybe uh, you know, maybe why we're seeing some of the problems we are. So I love the concept, uh, testing, right? Testing your response plan. A few things I'll get out of the way. APT, right? What's an APT? What's your definition? APT, everybody argues. I get that. But to quote Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until they get punched. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> Uh, and, and you just don't know. And this isn't because I, I just work for an organization now that offers these sorts of services, but I've really started to become a big believer in the concept of you have to test this stuff if you think you have a plan. Just like DR testing, you don't know until you really test it. So I love the concept of having third parties really put your stuff to the test. So you don't have the internal politics, you don't have the internal biases, you don't have the internal, well, we're not going to worry about that because of this extraneous circumstance. If you really want to know, put it to the test because the bad guys are going to have no mercy. And they're not going to do it on your time. That's right. And I'm not, yeah, and I'm not talking about Billy Bob's pen test for fifty nine ninety five. I'm talking, you know, some serious, they know what they're doing, real testing. Uh, you know, whether it be zero-day authoring to test against your environment that's never been seen before, to social engineering, to all sorts of stuff that is really simulating what the bad guys are really up to, not just throwing Nessus at your external perimeter and giving you a nice report and then, you know, looking saying you're elite hacksaw. Really hardcore stuff. And there's not that many companies that can really do that well. There's probably maybe 10 in the U.S. I, I don't know. That's just a round number. But I am a big believer in that. So I love the concept of getting folks to think about, yeah, you think you've got stuff. You think you're prepared. Really test it, and then you'll know. At least you'll have a better idea. Absolutely. Then you can, you can go and address whatever's found. I think that's a, that's a great point. Now, the only downside to this is, and this has always been my concern with any sort of pen testing or – uh, social engineering or malware simulation is it typically points out one or two, maybe three of the ways that you're vulnerable. Uh, and you go patch those or you shore those up. So keep in mind that this is typically a results mission-based test. So if the bad guy, or in this case, a simulated bad guy, achieves his mission the only thing you're really uncovering is the way he achieved that mission. That may not be the only way to achieve that mission. So it should be an iterative process uh, to keep getting that low-hanging fruit and then get tighter and tighter and tighter. Yeah, and it's a point in time. It's a point yeah. in time test as well. And you know, what, what I've seen uh, time and time again with these these kinds of tests is that some you know some things will work well one time and then the next time you know somebody didn't apply a patch or you know so, right. something like that. So, uh, you know, so, so it is important that, you know, again, depending on, on what you have to protect and how important it is that you, you do this on an ongoing basis. And I really like the concept you outlined that you want to kind of keep turning down the screws, right? You want to, you want to do the test, find the low hanging fruit, address it, do the test again, and, and just, just keep, just keep shoring things up. I think that's a, that's a really, uh, really good advice right there. And what the, the one thing I would add to that is 
also look at the systemic issue of why that issue was introduced. Is there something in your process? Is there something in your development life cycle? Is don't just triage and patch the hole. Figure out why that hole got introduced to begin with, and then you fire know, them. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or put their head on a pike out front as a lesson. There you go. If you believe in the Game of Thrones management style, um, but ultimately figure out at a strategic level what your process is that's broken and how you can improve it. So you're not constantly just patching holes you're introducing. Yes. Now that can mean a whole bunch of things to a whole bunch of people, you know, whether you're, you're launching apps and whatnot before you've really gone through security review, uh, you have no security development life cycle, you have, uh, you know, security is not being involved in any architecture decisions, whatever it may be. Um, look at the root cause, not just, Oh, we got to fix that. Yep, absolutely. All right, our next story comes from CSO Online, and the title is Revamping Your Insider Threat Program. And boy, this is a weird article. Um, I, I suspect it's because it's translated from some other website, but it's just formatted so weird. Um, but the, the, the net point is that and I think it's a good point because I see it happening in spades and Bob tells me he sees it a lot too. There's a lot of companies right now doing a lot of introspection in the wake of Snowden and uh, you know all, all of the other big high profile data disclosures. And you know I, I can I can certainly tell you that um, you know, contractors in particular are kind of falling under really interesting amounts of scrutiny across lots of companies right now, which I'm not entirely sure I I understand that uh, because I don't think the, the, the numbers bear that out. But the point is that the problem here is, you know, it's not employee versus contractor. It's what do you have access to? And, and that, so that's what this article is pointing out that, you know, the, the, the problem comes down to privileged access and, uh, they have a couple of tips that they outline in here, and some of them I think are again kind of high-level, uh, not terribly useful, but some of them are are maybe maybe more uh, tactical. So, first one is build a multidisciplinary team consisting of IT, HR, and legal in key lines of business. You know that sounds really great, except when you're in a very large company, that starts to get um, pretty difficult. Target people in areas with privileged access. Look at data flows within the company and anything that goes out. Again, the idea here is you know, look, looking for things that are out of the ordinary. Uh, understand the information needs of customers, employees, and suppliers. That kind of goes into least privilege. You know, making sure that if you don't have, you don't have to worry about you know, data exfiltration or, or people stealing your, your IP if they don't have access to it in the first place. And, you know, obviously there's no other security-related problems. Uh, balance the needs of employees and the company's security requirements. That's another one of those pie-in-the-sky, happy horseshit statements. Create guidelines and communicate them in employee handbooks and elsewhere. You know, I think that's kind of a COIA when, we're, when we go to court and, and cross swords, that's going to save my button and fry yours. Uh, use technology to enforce your guidelines and create whistleblower programs to keep anonymity intact for both the accuser and the accused. And then uh, what follows is 
kind of a random assortment of stuff. Uh, and, but I would net it out to say, plan ahead. You don't want to, you don't want to be figuring the stuff out as it's happening. You know, when you, when you find out that something's been posted, the pay's been, or has been, you know, given to a customer, you don't want to be trying to ram through your, uh, you know, your, your data leakage program at that point. You want to, you want to try to figure this out ahead of time. Um, new technology creates new avenues for theft, I think is another important lesson that, you know, when, when we start moving stuff into the cloud and onto, onto personally owned devices and, and whatever else, you know, I think we've, I think most of those things have been talked about to death and we're, we're probably pretty well aware of them. But, you know, right now we're in, we're in a, a time of you know, kind of tremendous innovation in technology. And we have to be, as IT people or as IT security people, we have to kind of be aware that that's changing the game constantly. And there's always going to be new, th- new things popping up that present a new threat. And we need to, to stay ahead of that. Um, looking for anomalies based on um, on the roles and expected behaviors of people, you know, and and maybe it's not enough to just block access for you know for people to 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 a certain set of data. You should probably be looking to see if they're trying to access it, and you know if they if they are and they're and they're failing, that might be an indication that something is up and you ought to go. You ought to or go They've never accessed it before, and suddenly they're accessing it at 3 a.m. Yeah, exactly. Now, they may inadvertently have reached that data, accidentally, for whatever reason. Uh, but, yeah, that's there's a couple of products out there now that are all about profiling access behavior and noting baselines of what is normal behavior, what is... You know, things like, hey, everybody in this AD group has this access to these things, and this person has this plus this other stuff. Do they need it? Or this person's never accessed this data before, and suddenly they are. I think those sorts of things, that that they need to mature a little more, but I'm glad that we're seeing uh, vendors out there starting to build that sort of anomaly detection. I think can go a long way towards this sort of insider stuff. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. My my concern, coming from a larger organization, you know, I, I think this gets to become a, a really unwieldy problem, uh, given the way that uh, especially larger organizations just like to let yeah. data, data pol- proliferate everywhere. And, you know, to an extent, we, you know, we're not doing ourselves any favors by letting that happen because now when we want to go through and do something like this, it becomes a lot harder. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if you're a, if you're a large company with tens or hundreds of thousands of people, you know, it's it's difficult to consolidate all of that, uh, you know, into a cup just a couple of places. Uh, they they do make a make mention about removing unnecessary access, which I think we just talked about. Focusing on app on older applications that might have bad or or you know, what I would call immature permissions models. I you know I hadn't really thought about this, but this is a good point. And I see this, I see quite a lot of problems, especially in larger companies. Uh, you know, IT investment is, or IT is something that you want to minimize, right? You always want to be looking to the strategic thing and you want to, you want to minimize your non-strategic spend. And so what that often does is 
create these orphans. So you have these older applications that, you know, essentially run lots of the business and they become non-strategic. And now no one, no one wants to spend any money on them. And, and so yep. it becomes difficult. And that creates lots of problems, not just this, right? You know, it creates problems for, you know, patching and because they tend to be more complex applications like, you know, an SAP or a, you know, a, an Oracle or a PeopleSoft or something like that, which, you know, it, it's not a, it's not a simple thing to patch them. Uh, but there's no money. Nobody wants to spend, you know, the $200,000 to go through and, and migrate your customizations to the new, to the new version. Uh, but the same, I think the same problem applies here that some of those older things may not have, uh, not have a permission system that really makes sense for your current business model. And now people have access to stuff they don't need. And that's not a great thing. Um, you know, they, they implement the, they say they recommend implementing what I would call the see something, say something model, which, you know, not a, not a great big fan of in the, in the government circles, but, you know, I guess in, in the, in the business context, it kind of makes sense that, you know, if you see, if you see, uh, you know, if you see your, your coworker, uh, you know, with a pocket full of USB drives, maybe, maybe that's the problem. I, you know, I don't know. Um. I, I suppose it, it can also create some adversarial relationships, which you know may may create some other problems. But uh, you know, when it, when I was when I was reading that, I was I was thinking about the uh, the YouTube skit about for some reason about the uh, um, uh, the, the be handsome, don't be un, or be attractive, don't be unattractive kind of thing. You know, where where uh, <laughs> you don't want to piss off your your coworkers. So you need to make sure that you're uh, you conform to what they what they're expecting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that whole see something, say something. I think has the same sort of pitfalls as employee education on security threats. It's I wouldn't rely on it. No, I, I agree with that. Um, they, they do have some interesting things. It kind of goes into some weird weird places. They, so they they start recommending making some recommendations that uh, you know, people who are investigating other people, you know, basically they, they recommend creating, uh, I forget the exact terms they, they call it, right? But the, uh, you know, an investigations group where you can, you can have them go and you can have your people go and report you know, suspected problems and then they'll go and, and do some investigation. And they recommend that those people be on a separate network. Uh, and, and then those people who are on the separate network need someone to watch them to make sure they're not doing inappropriate things too. And and I guess those people should also be on a separate network and have somebody else watching them. Who is Absolutely. who's also on a separate network. Right. And you know, eventually I think you I think the appropriate number of watchers watching the watchmen is around 73. Is I've, um, I've always wondered what the right number is. Yeah, that that's been my experiments. Uh, yielded seventy three. Seventy three. Okay, optim. Uh, right there. Okay. There you go. See, that's the kind of value that we bring. Right uh-huh. there. Oh, boy. And the I guess the last thing they they point out is that you really need to focus on protecting what's important because if you're going to try to protect everything, you're probably not going to do a great job at protecting anything. To an extent, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, however, you know, I, I think that 
it's a little myopic to think that, uh, you know, again, given the proliferation of data, it's very difficult to, you know, to, to focus on a particular thing, right? Because it tends to get mixed in with all sorts of other data. Uh, and, and also my experience is, especially in larger companies, it's really difficult to say all what's important. And, you know, you, ten, you tend to default to, well, it's all important. Much less keep up with it as new data is created. Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, you have the problem, of, especially in larger companies, the, you know, the originator of the data becomes the, the, the authority of, you know, whether it's important or not. And, you know, that's just, that brings its own prob- set of problems. So, um, you know, I, I think a lot of these tend to apply to some of the smaller kind of organizations. Um, you know, I, in, in the larger organizations, I see much, much more complex uh, problems to solve. And, I, you know, I'm not really seeing them solved well, to be honest. So the last story we have comes from Krebs on security, and it makes me go, what the fuck? title is Beware Keyloggers at Hotel Business Centers. Yeah. So, uh, so apparently the, the, the Secret Service and the Department of Homeland Security in the U.S. issued an advisory to the hospitality industry. And this was a, a non-public advisory um, saying that they had recently arrested some people in Texas who were going around uh, local Texas hotels, checking in with stolen credit cards and planting keyloggers on the hotel computers. I want to know who in their right mind is not already thinking this. And ninety uh, percent of non-security people. Okay, but you know we're <laughs> why? Why do we have to remind them to patch every time something comes out? Well, f- fair enough, fair enough. But what? So why is this not on? Uh, you know, Good Morning America, <laughs> or 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 Entertainment Tonight. Uh, it hasn't gone viral enough yet. I don't know. Uh, it, it hasn't been said in the right way. Of hotel computers are trying to kill you. <laughs> uh, it 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 kind of boggles my mind. You know, I I guess I would have assumed that this was just a kind of common knowledge, but I guess you're right. <sighs> maybe I maybe I'm 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 too optimistic about the world. Well, it's the it's the echo chamber, right? It, and this is something that we keep talking about trying to break out of, and this is something where I I think it's a good thing to remember. Of our view of reality is incredibly rare. And the vast majority of people are just happy if their computer works, man. No, yeah, that's a good point. Good point. And, you know, they're still just trying to get by, much less worry about all this security crap. Good point. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't mock the article, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, and, you know, the, uh, Krebs goes on and basically says there's. There's really, there's really no good way that you can reasonably protect these things. So, oh, that's not true. That is not true. There's all sorts of technology out there that you could boot up a virtual image on a USB stick. You could, um, if you're a business traveler, connect to back to something. I mean, there, there, there are ways 
you can protect yourselves. Don't use these machines. I mean, use a laptop that you trust. Well, I mean, I think that's the that's the point. It, this, you know, this this goes back to the point of the attackers have physical access to these systems, and so you don't really know what they might have done to the systems, yeah. which includes hardware keyloggers, not just software keyloggers, and that's true. You know, and on and on and on, right? So. Um, and that, that was his point. And he, he actually re- references the old Microsoft's, uh, 10 immutable laws of security, which, which, you know, interestingly still hold, still hold true. And this also reminds me of things like, you know, ATM skimmers and such, right? You know, if you don't have physical control of the box, you don't know what's been done to it. Absolutely. And those skimmers are getting pretty freaking clever these days. All right. Well, that is uh, that is the show for tonight. Thank you again for uh, for listening, and thank you, Mr. Kellett. Oh, thank you. Always uh, enjoyable and pleasurable. And hey, guys, I, I just one thing I wanted to say. Um, you know, if you have taken anything we've said on the show and done something with it, I'd love to know. I'd love to know what you think of our random ranting and advice. Is it? useful is it accurate does it get you in trouble has it gotten you fired has it been useful in your environment uh do you disagree with us drop us a line love to know uh how things went from all of our random ranting in your particular day job yes especially since you know i mean i work in the carpet industry and and andy works at a car dealership so (laughs) i can get you a great deal on a 94 honda (laughs) We we have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> it's true. We're actually reading this off the back of a CISSP prep guide. <laughs> it's true. Anyhow, it, 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 as Andy said, if you have any if you have any feedback, send us a send us an email to info at defensivesecurity dot org. It's uh you know it's really interesting to to hear from from listeners. You know now again now that we are up to about eighteen, that's uh you know it's it's pretty awesome. So. Uh, if you want to find the show, you can you can uh, find us on the internet at www.defensivesecurity.org. You can find links to all the stories we've talked about tonight and all the back episodes and links to the stories and, and those. You can find us on Twitter at DefensiveSec. Uh, you can find Mr. Kale on Twitter at Lurg at, and me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. And if you do like the podcast, you know, tell a friend. This is, uh, you know, this is intended to be helpful to all. That's why we do it. It's a labor of love. And, uh, you know, if you, if you find it useful, give us some, uh, give us some love on, on iTunes as well. That, that helps us, uh, bump up in the ratings too. So with that, we, uh, we call it another week. Thank you very much and we'll talk again. Good night. See you. Bye bye. <laughs>